most famous song slash poem ever. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He leads me beside, he leads me, woo! Beside still water. Ow. <laughs> he makes me let's like, try this. Okay. Let's try this again. <laughs> take I've actually <laughs> practiced this. I've, I've done this so many times. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and he restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Yeah. See, even the pastor can mess it up. By the way, I changed one word. Did you catch what it was in the NIV? I was quoting from NIV. I changed love to mercy. Why? Because there is King James in my heart, and I can't help it. Um, more about Bible translations a different day, but let me read for you, I'm going to read this time, an updated poetic version of Psalm 23 written by Eugene Peterson, and it appears in the message. You can see, see it on the screen. It goes like this. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup bring, brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Isn't that beautiful? Eugene Peterson's going to have a special place in heaven, I'm pretty sure. But we're going through this series that we're calling the big story. It's all about experiencing the whole story of the Bible. It's an overview this fall, helping you understand the context so that when we get into January and we teach how to study the Bible and through inductive Bible study, you'll be better prepared because you've got to know the big picture so that you'll have the small picture and be able to understand it in context. So that's where we're going. And we've gone through 17 of the 66 books already. And we've actually covered the whole plot line of the Old Testament already. And we've just gone through the genres of the law or the Torah and then the history books, the 12 books of history. So we're more than halfway through our timeline. We'll build our timeline here in a moment. And we're going to slow down a little bit today. Because if you feel like I've been drinking out of a fire hose every Sunday I go to church, today is going to be a little slower, just like Eugene Peterson says, you let me catch my breath. So good morning, everyone. 
So far, these books have painted a fairly straightforward picture. So when we were looking at the law and history, uh, we're seeing that when Israel follows God and his ways, they enjoy the blessings that God promised and uh, through the covenant that he made through Moses. But when they stray from God, they have curses like exile. So we saw all that play out in history. But however, on a personal individual level, things are more complex. We can attest to that, right? Sometimes people get away with evil deeds and innocent people suffer. So these books give us a way to think about how God uses wisdom, justice, mercy, and love to order the world. And in fact, we're going to see these major themes of wisdom, justice, and even lament play out in this next section that we're heading into. So this morning, we're going to look at this genre that we're calling poetry. And it's primarily a collection of poems. But songs and wise sayings. So we've been in a section of history that's narrative. It's telling the story. And yet this is poetry and this reads differently. It's not like the law, those first books of the Bible that read like rules. This is entirely different. It's a different literary style, and we've got to look at every literary style a little bit differently as we study our Bibles. So it's important to know that poetry just isn't roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you, or whatever meter or poem that you were taught as a kid. Sometimes the poetic sections of the Bible, not everything comes across in part because they're written in Hebrew, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but they are still beautiful and can be stunningly helpful in our walk with God. And these books are not the only poetry we find in the Bible. So there's actually been poetry in the sections that we've already studied, and there's going to be a lot in the next section that we're looking at with with prophecy. There's a huge compilation of poems in there. So in fact, a third of the Bible is written in poetry. And that's kind of a low estimate. And it is. read ones it is that are even estimate. higher than that. So hard to believe a third of the Bible is that. Um, the, the poetry heavy books in the Old Testament actually account for more content in the Bible than the entire New Testament. Say that again. The poetry heavy books in the Old Testament actually account for more content in the Bible than the entire New Testament. So we want to understand and embrace poetry, for sure. Uh, Because these five books in this section are mostly poetic, that's why they get grouped together in this poetry section. But keep in mind that there's all kinds of poetry elsewhere in the Bible. Tell us about the why. why. Oh, yes, the why. We like to talk about the why. why. Why are these poetry books even included in the Bible? They are used for worshiping God meditation, making wise decisions. They help us teach one another about how to live wise, loving lives. And they were read uh, as part of worship in the temple, festival celebrations, and even in parent-child mentoring. And I've been reading a book about the younger generation and studies about the younger generation who are still walking with Jesus and still plugged into Christian churches. There's five aspects that they found in common with those what we'll call resilient disciples. They haven't left the church. They haven't left their faith. They're still plugged in. One of them is the ability to discern culture and understand what's right, wrong, true, and untrue. 
And this is one of the most beautiful things about the poetry and the wisdom books of the Bible. I believe that they are a key for us to continue to grow in cultural discernment, regardless of whether we're the younger generation or, in our case, not the younger generation anymore. So, shall we look at bookshelves? I think we've got some good props to take a look at and to look at this um, genre. So, we're going to head up here and we'll, we'll play a little bit. Okay, so each week we're trying to take a look at our bookcase, and this is representing that the Bible is a library, right? A collection of books. And we have, we do have all 66 books, but right now we're just looking at the Old Testament. We've been talking about how the Bible is not organized chronologically, but by genre or different sections that go together. And there are five in the Old Testament. We have the law. This is the one we covered over two weeks because there was a lot. History. This is where we are this week. This is our poetry section, these five books here. Then there's the major prophets where we're going next week. And then finally, the minor prophets down here. That's why they're all yellow because they're all prophetic. And I taught you a little chant to help you remember these genres. It was 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. So for this week, the poetry books, we have five different books. We have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And if you can, we tried to give you the visual to show you that some are really long and some are shorter. So as you can see, Psalms is very, very large, very long. And then Song of Solomon is a shorter book. So different links here that we're dealing with. We have... Yay, it's you three. We have help. Come on up. <laughs> so we're going to do our timeline a little bit different today. We've been having everyone come out with their props to show you this timeline. But Andrew actually spent a lot of time this week creating one here for the screen. And this is great because now we'll also have this resource to put online. So you will have it. And one of the main reasons that we do the timeline is to show you the big events that tell the story of the Bible. And if you can grasp those, then when you move into a new section or a new book, you can stop and go, okay, where does it fit in this timeline? And so that's what we want to demonstrate to you today. So even if you were at home looking at this online or if you printed it out or whatever, you could say, okay, when I dive into this section, how does it all fit? Where does it work? So we're going to actually go up to the screen today with these books. So come on over. You might, why don't I give you all three? What, Job? Yeah. I'm standing at the hinge point of the Old Testament and the New Testament over here. It's actually right here. Yeah, got to get it right. So come on over. Come on over. Water's fine. Mom, you're going to stand right here. It's my mama. (laughs) You're right here near Joe. You are right here. All right, next to him. Turn around, face him out. Okay, I'll get out of the way. So, theologians really don't know when Job was written. We think it could have been the time of Abraham, even maybe before him, but definitely before Moses. And so we chose to stick him on the timeline here between Abraham and Moses. So somewhere, it's actually a whole lot earlier than we tend to think. Psalms. We are putting it 
with King David because he wrote about half of them. However, Psalms was collected over hundreds of years. So there is a Psalm that is attributed to Moses. And if you can remember, Moses is back here at 1400 BC. And then there are Psalms that were written after they were in exile in Babylon. And that's in the 500s. That's like a 900 year period that these Psalms were written over. But again, because about half of them are written by King David, we went ahead and put him at the 1000 BC mark. And then three of these poetic books are attributed to King Solomon, who was David's son, so right beside, and that is your Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. So that's why we're putting him there. So that is where these books fit on our timeline. Great. Good job, you guys. Thank you, thank you. So we're going to do something a little creative because uh, reciting scripture is a powerful thing, regardless of whether you mess it up the first time and you have to redo it. Um, but we're going to invite Josiah and Kate Harnish up, and they are going to do a spoken word piece on Psalm 18. All good right. morning. Yes, good morning, everyone. Wow. Here intimidating up here. It's bright. <laughs> so, Andrew, thank you for breaking it in a little bit there because you just never know when it's live, right? <laughs> so, yeah, we have had the privilege of, um, as a family, memorizing scripture. Our girls aren't here today, but it's really been something super special to us because it's something that as you're going through life and different things come up, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit brings something that you've hidden into your heart to memory right when you need it. So a small testimony of that would be uh, we were memorizing a passage from Isaiah before Kayla, our youngest, was born. And uh, we had a crazy story. She was a preemie. She was 3 pounds, 11 ounces. We weren't sure if I was going to make it or she was going to make it. And we spend a lot of time in the hospital, in and out of the NICU, and uh, the intensive care for me. And God brought a scripture that we had been memorizing together to our hearts, and we put it on her little, um, what's that thing called? Uh, bassinet? Basket? Incubator, yes, where they kept her nice and toasty warm. And it just reminded us that God was going to be faithful and pull us through. So if you want to hear more on that story, talk to us later. All right, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. This is our backup because Just in case. <laughs> a lot of times when we started memorizing this, it's something once you get it halfway down, you can do it while you're putting away dishes or doing during your day. And, uh, but the last part of it is a little rough, so they give us permission to have a backup. <laughs> the real written word. Okay, so yeah. Psalms 18, starting at verse 25 till we're done. That's, yeah, what we'll that's do. good. We'll know when we're done. <laughs> All right, go ahead. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. Hmm. You save the humble. But you bring low those whose eyes are haughty. You, O oh Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns, turns my, my darkness, darkness into, into light. light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. It is God who arms me with strength and makes, makes my, my way, way perfect. perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. And sets me on the high places. He trains my hands for battle so my arms can bend a bow of bronze. 
You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. And your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged the path under me. So my feet do not slip. I pursued my enemies and I overtook them. I did not stop till they were destroyed. And that's for God. His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. I think we went back I over think we missed something. And went back okay. around. <laughs> How about you pursue those enemies again? All right. Okay. <laughs> I pursued my enemies and I overtook them. I did not stop till they were completely destroyed. I crushed them so they could not rise and they fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for the battle. You made my adversaries bow at my feet. Mm -hmm. You made my enemies turn their back in flight, and I destroyed my foes. They cried out to the Lord. But there was no one to save them. They cried out to God, but he did not answer. I beat them as fine as dust born before the wind. I poured them out like mud in the streets. You have delivered me from the attacks of the people. You have made me the head of nations. People I did not know are subject to me. As soon as they hear me, they obey me. And foreigners cringe before me. They all lose heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. The, the Lord, Lord lives. lives. Praise, Praise be to, to the rock. rock. Exalted be God, God, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me. He is the one who subdues nations under me. Who he saves, saves me from, from my enemies. enemies. You exalted me above my foes, and from violent men you rescued me. Therefore, I, I will, will praise, praise you Lord. among the nations, O Lord. I will sing praises to your name. Right Amen. on, you guys. Thank you. Now, before Tammy picks this up and shares, um, when they were reciting scripture... Did you feel that feeling that came across you? You may not have words for it, but let's just take a, a teachable moment. That's the Holy Spirit when he's moving through the power of his word. And I was like having a hard time pulling it together. I'm a, I'm a feeler, so that's okay. Give myself permission to do that. And you don't have to weep. But did you feel that? If you felt that, I want you to begin to learn what it feels like when God's moving, and I want you to sense that and know, oh, I felt this before. This is what this was. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. That was a gift to us, really. So if we were going in order, we'd be starting with Job. <clears throat> we're going to change things up a little bit. We are not starting in order, and there's a reason. Hang tight. We will explain. So I'm actually going to jump into Psalms, which is what they were just reciting, and that was beautiful. Okay, Psalms, I showed you it's a really big book, right? There's actually 150 Psalms. <clears throat> These are poems, songs, and prayers, and there's actually five volumes in there. So there's five individual books in Psalms, and it is because it is supposed to reflect the Torah. So there's five books of the Torah, and it's supposed to look like that and remind us of that. So when you were reading Psalms, you were actually reading a book within a book, the Psalms within a book, the Bible. 
And about half are David's, we said that. And so that's why we place Psalms on the timeline near him. Songs actually, Psalms actually means songs of praise. And many of these poems came to be used by the choirs that sang in the temple. But it was also a prayer book, and those in exile specially used it as that. They used it to reflect on trying to be faithful to the commands of the Torah, but also they used Psalms to look forward to the coming Messiah. This poetry was written as worship to God, but also to invite others to worship God. So that term, hallelujah, is that call for people to worship God. And that's used, in fact, Psalms closes with five Psalms that is all saying hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Psalms shows the full spectrum of emotion. And I love that God wants us to do that and engage with him with all of our emotions. There is beauty and purpose in the structure of Psalms too. It starts more so with lament. So lament is when the psalmist is expressing pain, confusion, and anger, calling attention to what's wrong in the world and asking God to do something about it. But as you read through the Psalms, they move more and more to praise and thanksgiving where they are expressing joy and celebration and drawing attention to what's good in the world and therefore thanking God. And I love that because isn't that what happens? When we bring that, those feelings towards God, it eventually he transforms it into praise and thanksgiving as we remind, we remind ourselves of who he is. There's also a really clear tie to Jesus in Psalms. Many of the Psalms are what we call the messianic Psalms, and they foretell the coming of the Messiah and even some of the events that will, will unfold in Jesus's life. 25 different Psalms, so that's one out of every six, includes at least one Messianic prophecy. Pretty wow. cool. So we want to challenge you this week to read Psalm 22. This is the Psalm that Jesus actually quotes the opening line when he is on the cross. And if you read through it, there's astounding prophecy about Christ's crucifixion. And the first time I read it, I was just blown away. We'd love you to read that this week. That's your challenge. So last week, I tried a new tool out. And I'm going to try it again. We're just going to ask two quick questions, polling questions. And yes, we hit some limits last week, so I had to up my subscription. Is that yeah. what it's called? Yeah. 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 So that's good. I like that. I like the fact that we had so many responses. So first question, what three books in the Bible are considered the wisdom books? So you can vote or you can just think in your head. Is it Job, Psalms, Proverbs? Is it Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job? Is it Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations? Esther, Ruth, Song of Solomon? You got some options right they, there? They know there's a QR code on there. And there is a QR code, if but you, you know, if they, you, you have to do it earlier. So, you know, you might be able to catch the next question. There's only two questions today, but you know, um, I have to be honest, Tammy. I did not know the answer to this question. Okay. Before this, I got this wrong on the quiz. Oh. So even if you were at <laughs> seminary, you can, you can actually Fresh miss up. this. And so, well, what do we have here? We've got Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job as the, the front runner yeah. at 55%. 55%. And that would be correct. That would be correct. Yeah. So good job. Proverbs, Some, Ecclesiastes, and Job are considered yep. the wisdom. And if you didn't know the answer, you're in good company right with me, right? So um, in order to identify and introduce these wisdom books to you, I want to show you a one-minute video from the Bible Project because they can say it quicker and better than we can. Take a look at the screen. 
There are three books in the Bible that have come to be called the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And all of these books are addressing the same set of questions. What kind of world are we living in? And what does it look like to live well in this world? So how to be good at life. Yeah. So each of these books tackles these questions from a unique perspective, and it's important to understand all of them to get a fully biblical perspective on the good life. So as a thought experiment, you could actually imagine each of these books as a person. So Proverbs would be like this brilliant young teacher, and Ecclesiastes the sharp middle-aged critic, and Job would be this weathered old man who's seen a lot in his day. We're going to start by meeting the book of Proverbs, the brilliant young teacher. And she's not just smart, she's smart about everything, work, relationships, sex, spirituality. She has incredible insights things you wouldn't see on your own. Yeah, she would be the perfect friend to have around when you need really specific advice. Okay, so we're going to start with Proverbs. And they depict Proverbs as this bright young teacher, and she is the one that is telling us how the world should be. uh, Proverbs is composed of short, wise sayings, mostly associated with King Solomon, but there are other contributors to Proverbs. And if you remember from last week, we talked about how Solomon had asked God for wisdom, and he became known as the wisest man in the ancient world. So it makes sense that he would be the writer of many of these. Wisdom is clearly a theme in Proverbs. In fact, the purpose of the book is for gaining God's wisdom and understanding in order to know how to live. And the book says that wisdom is available to all who seek it. Proverbs reminds us to fear the Lord. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and it offers us practical instructions on how to live well. We saw how to have the good life. Super important to know that Proverbs are principles and not promises. So for example, Proverbs 22.6 states, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is a guideline on how the world should be, but it's not a guarantee. And there is really purposeful structure even in Proverbs. I know this was new material for me this week. I did not know this. Just like the creation story took place in seven movements, the book of Proverbs is arranged into seven sections. Well, there. Even some of the individual Proverbs have this really cool structure, and we miss it because we, it was written in Hebrew and we're reading it in English, but Proverbs 31 is an acrostic poem, which is one of those alphabet poems. So each line is a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the little fun fact, Psalms 119, which is that, the longest psalm that we have, that's also an acrostic poem. Each new stanza starts with a different letter. So some of the things we miss, if we had known the original language, we would see all that. I want us all to say some Proverbs together. So the, I picked out a few that I've, I've worked on memorizing over the years, and I want to say a plug to our youth. Please memorize as much as you can when you're young, because it is so much easier. Those, these, these things that I memorized when I was young stick with me, but when you try to memorize when you're older, it's, it's harder. So say them with me. We want to practice saying this beautiful poetry together. Proverbs 3, 5, five through 6. six. Trust Trust in the the Lord with with all all your heart. heart. Do Do not lean lean on your own understanding. understanding. In In all your ways, acknowledge him. him, He will make make straight straight your your paths. Proverbs 4, 23. This is a shout out to my daughter. It's her favorite. 
above all, of all else, guard, guard your, your heart, for, for everything you do flows from it. From it. Proverbs 31, 30. Charm, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So that is Proverbs. That is the way life should be. But now we're going to move to Ecclesiastes. And if Proverbs was a young woman who was a teacher, Ecclesiastes is the sharp, middle-aged critic who tells us how the world really is. He's the realist. I can imagine him smoking his pipe and saying, no, this is how life really is. So it's really pondering this question, what's the point? What is the meaning of life? And all of us ask that question, and he reflects on his life experiences, which are very broad and very rich. He's done many things that I never have had the opportunity to do. And yet, he discovers that wisdom is not just black and white. He finds that life can be tricky and unstable and unpredictable as he grapples with a complex and inconsistent and often disappointing world. He validates our struggle for human existence. And so you, you just count, he says you just can't count on things going your way even if you do everything Right. Phrases like the race doesn't always go to the swift or the battle to the strong are true. And you can pursue wisdom and still fall victim to all sorts of life circumstances. And you can go after trying to toil to secure a good life. And yet a good life is like a chasing after the wind, he says. Now, lest you get too depressed by this book, he's saying nothing in this world satisfies. He's tried it all, and yet he finds it meaningless. Meaning that if you want life to the fullest that Jesus offers us, then you've got to look to him for it. This world will not give you peace. He gives you peace that the world cannot give. You will not find true joy in this life, but God through his Holy Spirit, will bear the fruit of joy in your life. You don't really know unconditional love until you know Jesus. And so our eyes must go up to God in order to really receive meaning in life. Now, this imagery in Ecclesiastes about meaninglessness or vanity, depending upon what, what kind of translation you're reading, is the concept of vapor or smoke. So our middle-aged critic who's got his pipe and the, the pipe smoke, let's just say, whirling around, smoke is just very ethereal. You don't know where it's going. And, and, and in, instead of saying life has no meaning, he's saying it's really not clear. It's like vapor or smoke. It moves all around and it's hard to understand. So Ecclesiastes is recommending us to not try to control our life, or at least stop trying to. And we all struggle with control, partly because we're fearful of things, therefore we try to control our circumstances so that that dreaded thing won't happen to us or our loved ones. Instead, he says, stop trying to control things 
and start enjoying the good things that God has given you. Work, friendship, family, health, while you still have them, because you're not guaranteed what tomorrow is going to look like. So Ecclesiastes may not be the first book that you run to when you feel like you need encouragement, but I'm here to challenge you that it is a reflection of wisdom. And at the end, in Ecclesiastes 12, it says, Now all that has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So he says, no matter what, you would think maybe he would say, oh, you don't have to listen to God because it doesn't matter anyway. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. But that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that there are different seasons. Even in Ecclesiastes 3, and for those of you who are old enough, you can remember the birds from 1965 singing a version of this. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. And Solomon goes on to explain that these seasons, it's important for us to know the seasons. Like the men of Issachar understood and knew the seasons. For us to understand there is a time for everything. Therefore, we must find trusting God at the center of finding significance in this life. Looking at these three books of the wisdom literature, we did Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then the last one is Job. Job. So that's why we did it out of order, because we're trying to show you this picture of wisdom. So like they were showing in the video, Job is the weathered old man who has had great life experience, right? And through his story, we ask, is God truly wise and just? How do we trust God when life isn't fair and good people suffer? As we read on through Job, we come to see that there is so much more at play than we realize on a cosmic scale. And it's a grand piece of poetry that explores the nature of divine justice, human suffering, and the complexity of the world. So Job, he's a righteous man. He follows God. And he is experiencing the good life that the video was talking about, right? He has wealth. He has family. He has his health. But then we're given a peek behind the scenes into the heavenly realms, and we see the divine counsel in God's throne room. There is an adversary, an accuser known as the Satan, that comes forward and suggests to God that Job is only loyal to him because of the blessings in his life. Were they to be taken away, he would turn on God and curse him instead. So let me stop and give a commercial for our friends at the Bible Project because they did a wonderful video series on spiritual beings. And you can find this when you go to either their app or the website, or you can Google it and find it on YouTube. And these short videos talk a little bit about the divine counsel and this idea that there are these spiritual beings created by God and put over different nations in order to rule. Well, they don't always rule real well and they become a problem. So you can read about them in Psalm 82. You can also read about them in Michael Heiser's work. Um, but the Bible Project guys do a great job explaining that there's way more 
going on than meets the eye. The things that we see in the natural have a lot more things going on in the supernatural as well. And that's what Job is beginning to experience. Yes. So God gives permission to this adversary um, to take away these blessings in Job's life. He does stop short and say he has to spare his life, however. So Job loses his family, all but his wife. He loses his wealth. He even loses his health. His body is covered in these boils. And so Job becomes an example of a suffering saint. He's a good person who experiences extreme misfortune, and he's left wondering why. But through all of the difficult circumstances, we will see how he responds. You would think that perhaps his wife would be a really great encouragement during this hard time, wasn't she? (laughs) So I'm going to quote Job 2.9. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. So no, she was not an encouragement. (laughs) Don't be like Job's wife is the... uh... Is the point, I suppose. But so through all of these difficult circumstances, Job actually does not curse God. Three friends come to commiserate with him and discuss God's justice. And through their conversation, it becomes clear that they are operating on the principles that we talked about in Proverbs, right? So Proverbs is saying, hey, good people get these blessings, bad people get these curses. And so they are, are, are thinking this is how the world works. And so they are assuming Job must have some hidden sin that he hasn't confessed. However, Job knows he's innocent. And in his pain, he takes his case to God, wanting answers. He trusts God, but he also wants God to explain himself. And God responds in a surprising way by taking Job on a tour of the cosmos. He shows Job that there is so much more going on than Job can see, just like we were discussing there. God overwhelms Job with his majesty, his power, and his wisdom. So eventually, God restores Job's wealth, his family, and his health. In fact, he, gives, he doubles the prosperity. But he never answers why Job had suffered. Job chooses to trust that God, in his wisdom, will work things out for good in the long run. And he leaves Job, the story of Job leaves us realizing that the world is far more complex than anyone can fathom, and it is beyond human comprehension. So when God reveals Job's heart by asking him questions in in Job 38, then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, who, I can imagine like James Earl Jones. So it's like, like, (laughs) who is that that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? And And then he continues on, brace yourself like a man and I will question you and you shall answer me. You can imagine Job's hair getting blown back like that old, uh, advertisement for videotapes or whatever. Uh, Where were you, he asks, when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it. On which, on on what were the footings set or who laid the cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. And God goes on for three chapters explaining and helping Job understand the complexity of the world, the magnificence of who he is, and the fact, like we've said, that there is much more happening in the heavens that we can't see. 
So in summary, these three books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, they are painting a big picture of God's wisdom. And they really are meant to be read together so that we get that full picture. And they're, they show that God created and ordered the universe in great wisdom. And that when we walk in this wisdom, as humans, we can bring that godly order to the world around us. And we could reign with him in that way. And these books have been used throughout the generations to help God's people understand his world and deal with the complexities of life. And personally, I love that the Bible wrestles through this, this hard concept that sometimes good people suffer. And I just love that there's these tools that we've been given to help us grapple with this. Let's do another, one more quiz question. It's so fun. I will so give fun. it away this time. We'll keep using this tool, by the way, over and over um, as different weeks go by. Which of the three of, which three of the five books of poetry did Solomon write? There's overlap. And so is it answer. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes? Is it Job, Proverbs, Song of Solomon? Lamentations, Psalms, Proverbs, or Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon? Let's take a look at how you're voting, shall we? Oh, I think that they've been listening. We've already given you the <laughs> answer you over and job. over so, in hopes that we would have overwhelmingly good uh, responses. And sometimes that can be a little confusing. I write these questions. So if you hate the questions, you can complain to me. You write the answers. I wrote the questions. Uh, yeah, that's true. She wrote the question. <laughs> I wrote the multiple choice <laughs> yes, answers. Yes. That's actually 100% true. So how do we do? Tammy, tell them their results. You guys did great. 81% of you got the correct answer. It was D, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. We gave you one, right? Yes. Now, Song of Solomon, you might think of it or you've heard it called Song of Songs. And I actually didn't understand this until this very last week. And I looked at it, I thought, why in the world did they actually say Solomon? But it, this is the idea that it's the thing of things. Um, when in Hebrew, you say something is, let's say, the king of kings. You've heard that statement before. It means it is the one that is above all other. It's the best one. So this is the song of songs. It's the best one ever written. <laughs> As a songwriter, I just like that idea. <laughs> It didn't go the way I thought it would go. I just kind of thud. <laughs> Only funny when I don't mean to be. But I believe this was written by Solomon. Everybody's, you know, we could bring Carl out and we can, we can argue about it. But today was not a Carl day. This was a, this was a poetry day. And um, this, idea, this, this book of Song of Solomon, this might be the one that you've read the least. And it's Hebrew love poetry. And it depicts and celebrates the beauty and the mystery of sexual love and desire within the context of marriage, indicating that that is indeed a gift of God. And do you know that in ancient times, you had to be 30 years old in order to read this book? They said, this is too spicy for you young people. You got you to gotta have a little age behind you, right? And it describes this love story between a man and a woman. The bride and the bridegroom, the husband and the wife, the darling and the beloved. And it shows this yearning that lovers have for one another and the undying strength of love. The themes of love and longing and delight are in every part of the book. And like Esther, this is one of those books of the Bible that don't actually directly mention God as a character. Just so interesting. 
And so there's three main interpretations of this book. One is that it's what it seems to be, and that is a celebration of human love and marriage. I believe that is true. But I also believe it's equally true that it's the second thing, and it's an allegory of God's love for his people. And the third one kind of goes with it, and that is Christ as the bridegroom's love for the church, the bride. Now, poetry is so amazing because it has so many layers. It can mean all three things at the same time. And remember, or know for the first time, that Hebrew only has 3,100 words in it. I mean, English has 3 million words. So you've got to use the same words for different things, and there's nuance and doubles and triples and quadruples of meaning, which makes poetry in the Bible even more beautiful. So a key figure in the Song of Solomon is this garden imagery. Now, you might, you might be remembering the Garden of Eden at the beginning of our timeline, at the beginning of time, and these descriptions seem similar to the our time in the, in the garden. Before the fall, the man and the woman were naked and unashamed. They were vulnerable, but they were unified. They were safe with each other, untainted by selfishness and sin. And this gives us hope. It gives us hope that the gift of love that God has is transcendent. And ultimately, one day, God's love will restore his beloved world. So we're going to end that final book of poetry with a passage I want you guys to say this with me. So this is from Song of Solomon 8-7. I'll direct this towards my husband as I say this. <laughs> Place me like a seal over, over your heart. heart. Say it with me. Like, like a, a seal, seal on, on your arm. arm. For love, love is as strong as death. death. It's, it's jealousy unyielding as the grave. grave. It, it burns like blazing, blazing fire, fire. Like, like a, a mighty flame. flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. It is a beautiful book. And um, we were going to show you a video from the Bible Project on the books of Solomon, but I'm going to push that out on the text line. So if you have... Um, Subscribe to our text line. You will, you will get a link for that this afternoon, and you can take a look at that video. It talks about all three of these books and the beauty of what Solomon has done, as well as the fact that they're really given to us so that we can learn lessons from Solomon's life, from his victories and from his defeats, and ultimately the wisdom that he passes on to us. So each week we're trying to give you a challenge and trying to give you some resources too. And so I, we already challenged you to read Psalm 22 this week. Another thing I would really love you to do is to actually open up the Bible to these books and recite and even try to memorize some of these verses. And Psalms and Proverbs are a great place to look. And as you can see, fumble through them like, like we have to. We're all in this together learning. Another resource we have is we're putting some bullet point slides together. So for those of you that are taking notes or just want to look at this in more detail, we'll have those for each of the books on the website under, under the Digging Deeper tab, and it, you can find that under Sunday Handouts. Yeah, th those will come go online probably tomorrow. Um, as we close, we want to show you one more Lego project that was unique. Because Scott Blackman never does something that's in the box. He always goes over and above, and he is a master craftsman. 
But more importantly, he is a father in this house who loves kids and loves families and has raised his sons well and loves his wife, Diana, well. We love Scott Blackman. And so he wrote up this little write-up about this Lego that he has created and you push a button and it lit up from the inside and these little Lego pieces are blowing out and he wrote up, he says, this is about the joy of the Lord. Now we talked about Nehemiah last week and this is from Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And he writes in his description of this creation that he made, God speaks to us and describes himself to us in his word and lovingly explains his truths so simply, yet they are so deep and profound. And our brother Scott is true. As we look at poetry, we see simple truths on the, on the surface, especially in Proverbs where we see these pithy statements that we can try to live out almost immediately But then there's the depth of something like a Song of Solomon, where we begin to understand in fresh ways, in new ways, God's rich and deep abiding love for us. Sometimes it takes poetry to describe something that beautiful. And so if you'd stand, I want to pray a blessing over you. And prayer folks, if you'd come down front, we would love uh, for you to come down and receive prayer this morning for whatever's going on in your life. And we're really believing in this season that God is moving. He's always moving, but especially in this season, I'm sensing that especially in the, in the realm of healing, God really wants to touch people. And we need to have a more expectation for what he's going to do because we continue to see him heal people. So please don't be bashful to come down and receive prayer. You don't have to come down for an hour. You can just come down for a few minutes, receive prayer, and then go to lunch. But Jesus, thank you that you are our savior, our sanctifier, our healer, and our coming king. Thank you that your love is shown to us through these books of poetry, and that through creation, uh, the heavens are telling your glory. And so we're joining with the heavens this morning saying, you are glorious. And even in this complex world, with all of the struggles, come very near to us, God. Would you help us to discover your joy afresh and anew, that your joy would be our strength this week to face whatever we're facing and to really step into life to the fullest. And so thank you for this church family. Thank you for the relationships that are being built in this season and how you're moving. I bless this family meeting here on the campus as well as on the stream right now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll see you next week.